0: Direct from Montreal, Canada, this is Rock Talk
1: with Mitch Lafon. Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon.
0: Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon. Uh, Joining me on the phone from uh, the band Wang Chung. It is uh, singer-songwriter Jack Hughes. He has a new album out called Primitif. And uh, we talk everything. We discuss the album, we talk about his career as a professor... And all kinds of other stuff. In fact, I am so excited about this episode that I just want to get right to it. So everybody have fun listening to this interview. Here is the one, the only, from Wang Chung, Jack Hughes. We are speaking to Jack Hughes, formally, I guess. Do we say formally of Wang Chung, by the way?
1: No, I guess I'm still in Wang Chung. Um In yeah. a slightly on and off kind of way, but yeah, I still work with Nick. You know, there's plans to do a bit of touring this year, or well, there yeah. were some plans so, to so do a bit of touring this year. You know so, what? I'm, I'm not even going. I'm of not that. even
0: going to start that that intro over. No, just focus. Jack Hughes yeah. of of Wang Chung, or uh, new album is Primitive comes out March 20th, 2020. And as we say in Montreal, Bonjour. Comment allez-vous? uh,
1: oui, uh je, je vais bien. Is that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> considering everything that's going on these days but uh l- let me talk about this album Primitif, because I have yeah. I've been listening to it and fo- follow along if you can with this description or or tell me if you agree with the description but I but I find it very cinematic in in its scope it- it's got a you know it's painted with a broad brush mm-hmm. it's got a lot of soundscapes to it um is that is that how you would describe it as well yeah. or or you know, could-
1: yeah. No, I I think so. Um, You know, I think cinematic's a good description, really, you know, so that the songs are, um, as it were, illustrated, you know, the lyrics are illustrated in the music and uh, as well as the songs, there are some instrumental pieces. But I think give the album this quite sort of broad theatrical kind of sound, you know.
0: Yeah. So so talk to me a little bit about the the genesis of this. Was this something, because it is your first, maybe fans may not know, some may not oh. know, but it is your first solo album. And they're like, wow, he's been at this since, <laughs> you know, the, the the early 70s. What yeah. took him so long? But are these songs that have been sitting around for 20, 30, 40 years, and you finally oh. dusted them off and said, all right, let's do something? Or did you sit down one day and go, I'm going to do my first solo album?
1: Yeah. What am I going to do? Well, uh, as with all my projects, they begin with just writing whatever it is I'm writing. You know, I guess since uh, around about uh, 2000 you know i haven't really done a lot of work with songs as such you know i mean we, we did a, a wang chung album in 2012 called taser up uh which i guess had some songs but they sort of were songs that have been lying around uh a, a bit you know but most of my work in the last uh sort of i guess it is sort of 20 years almost but let's say 15 years has been with my jazz Sort of quartet, and I say jazz in inverted commas. It's closer to sort of prog rock, really. You know, but a lot of that work anyway has been uh, instrumental. You know, so when I sat down uh, starting writing songs again, I, I did have this sense of uh, yeah, this this was a sort of a return to songwriting in a sense. And Primitif is the result of that sort of quite high focus on songwriting uh, and trying to bring to bear like many many years of experience in that realm.
0: Well, since you bring in the, the, the prog mention, let, let me go with that for a second. You did do a, an album called Strictly Inc. with yeah. Tony Banks of Genesis. And you can easily say that that is a prog connection. Um, talk to me a little bit about that that, that Strictly Inc. And, and working with Tony Banks. And, and is that something that at some point you'd like to do more of, uh, get back working with Tony?
1: yeah if he was into it you know um it was it was a a good project to do you know when i was a t- teenager i was a really big genesis fan you know that that's the sort of peter gabriel genesis so albums like uh, selling england by the pound and foxtrot um i loved still love you know so when i got a call from uh, tony asking if i'd be interested in collaborating with him both as a writer of lyrics and uh and singer it, that was a real thrill, you know, and um, chatting with him about the, the sort of the live shows with Genesis in the early days and the kind of gear that he used. And and just sort of working with him on the album was a was a sort of education, really, you know, and a great time to reflect on that bit of uh, my life as well, you know, in terms of the, the music that I grew up with, you know. And I think that's come even more into focus uh, in the last Few years, sort of working within in Canterbury. I, I live in a town called Canterbury, uh, which is about 60 miles southeast of London, and th- that has a sort of very thriving sort of prog rock tradition. Uh, back in the 70s, there was a band called Soft Machine, Caravan, uh, various other bands, um, uh, Egg, uh, Hatfield in the North gong have a canterbury connection so i suppose canterbury prog is quite a specific thing and involves the sort of confluence of rock music and free jazz in many ways uh but so prog is sort of I, i've become much more aligned with it and uh and i suppose the reason i've i became unaligned with it was the early days of wang chung when really punk had taken over in london and um you know prog was a well, it was a four-letter
0: word. Well, yeah, it was. All right. So, so you did mention the uh, the jazz influence uh, quintet, yeah, and, and doing jazz, and then we've got this album that, that's cinematic, and we did the Prague thing. Talk to me about m- evolving musically, because arguably you could say, well, in the you know dance hall days and all that stuff, it, it was very pop oriented, very MTV oriented, and you moved away from that. Is it fair? Is it, well, is it fair to say you moved away from it? And talk to me a little bit about that musical progression. Why didn't you stick? being the pop guy for yeah. the next 35 years?
1: <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting question. You know, uh, I, I remember that sort of thing, of, you know, writing dance all days, you know, again, uh, I don't will songs to come. They just, come you know and they it's it's like almost like channeling them somehow you know so dance all days came through (laughs) i wrote it down and we performed it you know and then i remember this sense from the record company of like okay great so next album write 12 of those (laughs) you know and it's like, well, it doesn't really work like that, you know, and I think a lot of artists actually having done something, they then sort of want to do the opposite almost, you know, and I guess our version of that was to do um, to live and die in L.A., which was a movie soundtrack. And um, that involved writing quite extended pieces and so on, you know, for the for the actual score. Um, so yeah, this this sort of uh, evolution, I, I suppose, is what it is. You know, through songwriting. You know, I've got nothing against pop songs. In fact, I think it's a, a massive discipline to try and write a really cogent pop song. But I suppose these days, I do like to uh, push the. The conventional boundaries of of what a pop song is, you know, and, and I think Primitif, each song is really a sort of little experiment with form, and with uh, with content as well. In many ways,
0: it is, and 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 I'll I'll explore the the pushing of boundaries a little bit, and then I'll get right back to to Primitif. But if you look at what you were doing in the video age, the MTV age, the Much Music age, if you want, yeah. uh, with everybody have fun tonight, with to live and die in LA, with. The videos weren't just straight performance videos. You actually put some thought into it. Um, yeah. How important was that for you to not just stand in a room with a guitar and turn the camera on and, and film for 10 minutes and go, okay, our single is done. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, talk to me about using that technology and wanting to present, because you look at everybody have fun today, tonight, I should say, yeah. now, yeah. and it still looks cutting edge. And we're, yeah. we're 35 years later.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think uh, video was cutting edge back at that time, you know, so we're talking early 80s through to the mid 80s. Um, MTV was a a brand new format, you know, and was fascinating in many ways, actually, not just the content of endless videos, uh, but the fact that it was the first time that music was broadcast right across North America from a central source. So before that, you had radio stations in cities, and each city had its own sort of spectrum of radio stations, and each of them had a very strong identity, and the music they played, you know, was very much sort of a part of that identity. MTV was uh, nationwide, you know, so that changed, you know, and was maybe a precursor of the way things are more today, you know, where obviously Clear Channel own a lot of the stations and and program from a central perspective as it were you know um but that aside you know i think um making videos was uh, all sorts of people were interested in doing it so the first dance all days video that we did was made by derek jarman or directed by derek jarman who's a very sort of serious english filmmaker made very avant-garde cutting-edge english films you know um and uh, and with uh, everybody at fun tonight we worked with uh, kevin godley and lol cream who were the sort of uh, directors, yeah,
0: they, they were it, right? Codley the, and Cream, uh, Cry, I think was their video, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. well, they did all sorts of things, you know. But they're very creative, you know. To be honest, in the in the process of making the videos, I tended to step back and let those creatives. Do their thing, and uh, you know, rather than sort of getting heavily involved. But I know Nick and I were both pretty involved in uh, Everybody Have Fun Tonight, and that we wanted to have this sort of uh, stop frame and animation type approach. You know.
0: Yeah, and and, I, and I, listen, I could explore those days longer, but we're, but we're here what? to talk about Primitif, so let's let's do that, and then if we have some time left, we'll we'll throw in a few more. But the 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 press release says. That this, uh, due to a series of personal losses, uh, Jack found himself more concentrated on music than ever. So uh, let me ask you about that uh, in terms of the healing power of music. You know, you you go through these personal losses and maybe something's you don't know what to do and you see music. How much of, and and I don't want to get too dramatic, but how much of a salvation or or a call to arms is it to just sit in a studio and say, okay, we're going to make some music?
1: Yeah, it is. T- salvation is not too strong a word, I don't think, you know. Um, and music has been that at various times in my life, I think, you know. And writing is um, a kind of therapy in a way. You know, um, I, for about 10 years, I taught songwriting at the university here in Canterbury. And uh, I became very aware as the students bought me their work, you know, that uh, a lot of them were sort of rather uncomfortable about playing it in the room with other people because they instinctively felt how kind of revealing it was about them. And not just, you know, if the lyrics were about personal things, you know, that's one thing, but just the whole manner in which you present yourself through a song is very revealing, you know, so, uh, so yeah, writing songs uh, has a f- strong therapeutic aspect, you know, and I think that's part of what Primitive is. You know, it was certainly uh, the, these sort of losses and emotional things that I went through at the time uh, were cathartic, really. And I think they put me into a place where finding myself for the very first time in my life, in a way, uh, on my own, uh, I sort of had a lot of time on my hands and I devoted it all really to, writing and recording these songs,
0: you know. So so where does that leave you for the future? Do do you, Are you in a groove now where you say to yourself, hey, you know what, this was, as you said, cathartic, and I want to keep going? Or do you say, all right, I did the solo album. Now stop asking me about the solo album, all right? Yeah. Is it a springboard to something coming, or is it, you know, uh, the period at the end of the sentence?
1: I think it's... Um It's definitely, uh, I mean, as a piece of work with my sort of journey through songwriting, you know, since I probably started writing songs when I was like 12 years old, you know. In fact, I did write my first songs at that time. I can remember them. (laughs) And, uh, you know, through to where I am now, that's, that's a long journey. And so this is a sort of culmination of my approaches to songwriting. But I feel, you know... I feel very encouraged by this process. I've really enjoyed making a solo record. I've enjoyed sort of expressing myself in this kind of quite uninhibited kind of way. And uh, I look forward to doing a follow-up. But whether that will be, you know, right now or whether it will be sometime in the future, I'm not too sure.
0: Yeah, and and, and it's hard right now with the world situation, you know, with the COVID-19 to, to have sort of any future plans because we don't know where it ends. But yeah, – Assuming it ends in the next, you know, two months, three months, four months, hopefully, if not sooner, um, do you plan on taking this music to the road and getting sort of an orchestra or or whatever kind of musical? okay, And and what would that look like?
1: Well, um, I was going to do a launch uh, gig here in Canterbury uh, back around the, the launch date, March 20th uh and um <clears throat> yeah that was looking like a sort of well the guys if you go to my website you know jackhughes.com you can see uh, two live performance videos and the guys in that band are essentially my band and uh so i was going to use those guys uh plus a, an additional keyboard player who was going to be taking care of some of the orchestral parts and samples and stuff like that so um a largish band, you know, uh, I would really relish the opportunity at some point to do it with a small orchestra um, uh, because there, there's a sort of orchestral component to the album. And um, that would be great to, to realize, you know, I think through my experience of working with um, with my jazz quartet, you know, I'm working with jazz musicians, the whole thing of having live performance but having a degree of freedom within that performance framework for improvisation or just extending certain sections um that's very exciting and when we were rehearsing for this gig we were starting to do that so um um for instance the look of love um you know has this sort of long extended instrumental thing on the record but we were stretching that out even further and um sort of sort of creating these sort of colors and grooves you know it's not like jamming like in the old 70s sense of guitar solos and stuff it's more textural kind of stuff
0: right like Uh, a musical motif stretched out kind of thing
1: exactly yeah and more sort of it's a bit like a like a steve reich piece or something like that you know a systemic piece you know where you sort of hold on a section until you get a nod to move to the next section and that kind of thing but it means everybody's listening to each other and that to me is really important when you're playing live.
0: It is. Now, in terms of the, the, the jazz, is that something that you will continue and, and perform and, and release records as, or is that more just...
1: For entertain, for you know, as a hobby, sort of for the last yeah. bad word, but you know, what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, but for the love of it, you know. I mean, I think it will always be for the love of it. But but yes, I'd love to release more stuff in in that area. And in fact, uh, this time last year, I did some shows with my quartet and a and a band called Siddhartha, who are from Canterbury. Uh, some of your listeners may be aware of them they they had um, some records out uh, in fact they were signed to a, to Universal in Los Angeles uh, for a couple of years and put out a couple of albums which are great really fantastic uh, but the gigs that I did were sort of um, my quartet and Sid Arthur so we had two drummers two bass players and you know it's quite a quite a big ensemble and we were playing uh, a, a number of uh, pieces some of which I'd written but uh, others were covers and uh, anyway to cut a long story short, we recorded those shows and we're going to be releasing a sort of live album towards the end of this year, uh, uh, which is like created out of the, the recordings we made.
0: That, that's great. And and this is a, a, a very specific Montreal question, but we do have our, our International Jazz Festival here that has, yeah. you know, somewhat renowned. Have you played that? Because if you have, I've missed you no we
1: haven't no it tends to be a pretty local thing we for a while we were doing a few gigs in london you know um there's various jazz venues that we were playing you know but i guess for dyed in the wool jazz heads you know we're a bit rock (laughs) really you know and for a rock audience uh we're a bit jazz you know it sort of falls between the two I'm, i'm always very sort of um uh, skeptical about defining music in genres, and I think for me in particular, I love the border zones between genres, um, and I would really uh, hate to think I was defined by any genre.
0: Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, people always ask me what kind of music do you like, and I mm. say, I say, well, whatever my ears like, and they go, well, yep. ha, huh. and, and I'll say, well, I like Duran Duran, and I like Bon Jovi, and I like Kiss, and I like Black Sabbath, and I like Wang Chung, and they go, they mm. go, ha, but they're so different. I go, so what? My ears like it exactly yeah, yeah. like, like you know, I,
1: I think this is quite a recent thing you know defining music by a genre which has come out of the sort of um you know the itunes kind of way of uh you know grouping music into into these genres and i, I get that that's useful if you're searching through your your library as it were and trying to find something you know uh but i think in terms of the way one approaches music if you think of it You know, like one of the first questions I used to ask my students was, you know, um, so tell me what what music you listen to. And they go, well, I listen to metal and I listen to the, you know, all these genres. And I say, this makes no sense to me. Um, You need to tell me the artists that you listen to. And that's what I think, you know, music is about the artists. It's not about genre. And great artists tend to use all kinds of different genres. I I think that's true of Wang Chung in many ways, you know. Um, I'm not saying we're great artists by that, but I'm just saying, you know, I guess growing up with the Beatles, uh, you bought a Beatles album and you got a massive spread of genres, you know, you know right the way through their careers, really. You know, so Revolver, which is supposedly a very cogent <laughs> album by them, starts with Taxman, which is sort of kind of guitar rock, isn't it? You know, and then Eleanor Rigby is for a string octet. And then um, I'm Only Sleeping is John's sort of most acoustic hippie kind of thing. And then, uh, what is it, George's um, Love You Too? You know, it's, it's like his dipping his toe into the Indian raga thing, you know. So they were really a massive spread of music. But their integrity as artists is what holds it all together. And so you don't question that they're kind of dressing up in a different set of clothes to play a certain song, you know.
0: I agree. Now, I do want to ask you a little bit about the teaching thing, because, mm. you know, music is always, to me, about spontaneity, about uh, being inspired, about this. And when you teach it, sometimes you have to deconstruct it and say, this is what mm. happens here in the um how do you approach teaching do you sort of deconstruct stuff into theory and bits and parts and stuff or is it yeah. like hey people go find your inner you
1: know how, how
0: do you approach it
1: yeah sort of both really you know i mean i <clears throat> i try to sort of uh, each student i try to really sort of listen to what they were doing uh, trying to hear their strengths hear their weaknesses help them with the weaknesses Amplify the strengths, you know, Uh, but I think there's a lot to be said for looking at certain key songs, you know, a song like God Only Knows, for example, by the Beach Boys and just appreciating the craftsmanship in the song. You know, Um, I I don't think that you can write songs using theory. You know, I know uh, I follow this uh, Twitter feed called dark music theory you know which i find quite funny you know because you have all these kids on it i i mean that was all great respect to kids doing music you know uh but they'll sort of say oh god music theory so boring but you know i know i have to do it to be a great musician you know and i sort of think well you don't have to do it you know it's it's useful but it's not essential and i think there is maybe this um, misconception that if you If you're really great at music theory you'll be a great Musician and that isn't the case at all You know I think you need a good ear And you need and spontaneity is Very important but to turn Away from music theory entirely I think Is to miss a really fascinating Aspect of music
0: yeah I, I agree And uh, I, I do want to just quickly Get back to to the Wang Chung days Just for a second and I don't want to bore you With it but
1: uh, oh, Chat Wang Chung <laughs>
0: Oh, good. See, uh,
1: uh,
0: uh, listen, it was it was it was great times back in those early 80s. I got to tell you, but um, the the video presentations and and we talked about it before, but you were so known for that. You know, the look of To Live and Die in L.A., the look of everybody have fun tonight. How how difficult was it for you then to translate the band to a live setting? Because the fans are coming and they're expecting to see all kinds of, you know, things (laughs) going on. And then mm. they've got these guys standing here playing the songs and I don't mean to to depreciate what you're doing but it's certainly yeah. not the same uh energy. Yeah. Um how difficult was it for you to bring it to the fans?
1: Yeah. Uh I th- I think not difficult in the sense that, you know, I, I grew up in an age, you know, pre-videos, you know, so my sense of what a band was, was was that they stood there and played, and 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 that was enough. And the music, you know, in, in a way, you almost like shut your eyes and get into the music, you know. Uh, and to me, if I'm honest, you know, the whole video thing was uh, not like over elaborate, you know, but it brought a sort of different sort of thing into into music, you know. Uh, I guess again in Canterbury. You, uh, there was this thing called um classic album sundays where this lady sort of set up this thing in a shop where people would just go along and listen to an album that she'd choose you know uh and uh, you'd have a group of like 12 people just sitting around in this shop with their eyes shut <laughs> listening to the music you know and i went along to one of those well more than one of those and i loved it I, and it I rem- it reminded me of like in the sort of 70s when I was a kid, going to somebody's house and just sitting and listening to music with them. That was a very special thing. And the way the music triggers your imagination is is great. Whereas I think with videos, it does a lot of the work for you and rather spoon feeds you the imaginative side of it. So to that extent, I always felt um, a a little kind of sceptical about videos and stuff like that. So to answer your question, you know, my my sense of, you know, the band being on stage, I, I didn't ever feel that we needed to kind of replicate the videos or stuff like that you know but i think uh, i've got better at being on stage you know since doing uh the the jazz thing in many ways and then also since doing the teaching as well because teaching is a kind of performance as well and that gives you a a certain sort of uh, energy and confidence about holding people's attention and so on you know
0: I fully agree with that with that comment. I have a couple of friends that are teachers, and I always say to them, "You got to approach it like you're heading out for a rock show. You got to, you know, you got to
1: keep them exactly. interested. It's it's, it's a Very rock show. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. All my students will be laughing if they heard me saying that, but you know, I, it is important. Yeah.
0: Well, it is. I mean, you, you you when you're a public speaker, which is what a teacher is, you have to be entertaining or at least engaging yeah, uh, you know, not to be goofy, but you have to be engaging. And yeah. that's what a rock show is. You, a rock store, you know, you look at uh, you know, uh, David Lee Roth or Freddie Mercury, yeah. they were engaging. They didn't just stand there..
1: So, sure. yes. uh, <laughs>
0: um so so let me just ask you then, what happened with with Wang Chung? Because again, I was back then and I would see this video, Dance Hall Days, and blah blah blah, and, and it was you were on all the time yeah and then by the time that we got to the end of the 80s early 90s you weren't there all the time it just mm-hmm. vanished now was that uh you gave up on it that the record company gave up on it what's sort of the story um for you in, t- in terms of your perspective
1: yeah i think it was um you know, nick and i uh who were Wang Chung basically you know Wang and Chung uh are quite different in our approaches to things you know uh and I think you know paradoxically the success of Everybody Have Fun Tonight I've I've been reading about this with some other artists you know it's sort of like when you start out as a band you have a sort of core fan following and you have a sort of identity and and then you move into your sort of record deal phase you know and the record company has an effect on they have certain requirements, uh, basically, that you sell records, you know. So the sound changes, you know. And suddenly you've got a whole new bunch of people in the room, if you like, you know, who you, uh, sort of you don't know, who don't know you in a way, you know. Um, sure, they love the record. but So I think that that process, um, in a way, made Nick and I more apart, if you know I mean, in the sense that he wanted to pursue that sort of more commercial thing, whereas I was still wanting to make – you know Genesis albums, <laughs> really. You know, and so we made an album called The Warmer Side of Cool, uh, which is quite proggy in its in its way, you know, uh, but didn't have hits on it. And I think the record company at that point was a kind of losing. Interest in us, well, not losing interest, but you know, albums were expensive to make in those days, you know, and uh, so they were kind of like, okay, you've done that one, well, now have a, now make a hit album, you know, and I think by that time Nick and I were, were really sick of it, but so that was our little world, you know, and we could have kept going, but I think in truth the bigger world was really changing, and the bigger world was now into hip hop, and into you know, Geffen had signed Guns and Roses, and Nirvana were just around the corner, you know, grunge was coming, and uh, 80s bands were really last last week's news you know so unless we'd really embraced one of those mediums uh, i think uh, it would have come to an end anyway and uh, so so that's what happened you know I, I you have to sort of ride the the tide the, the way it's going you know or get back on the beach to make a really weird metaphor <laughs> yeah
0: yeah no but you're right but and it, it is very telling that you know i was i was there in the yeah. early 90s all these bands disappeared, whether it was it was Wang Chung or was there, it, it was, you know, Pat Benatar or Def Leppard. They all sort of vanished. Yeah. And yet here we are in 2020, and most of those bands, the Guns N' Roses, the Aussies, they're still touring. They're yeah. still doing stuff. So it's amazing how it got poo-pooed for five or six or even a decade. And yeah. yet it's the, like, who wants to go see any kind of reunion by any 90s band? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know
0: yeah then,
1: yeah there, there were some great ones i think but you know but i think it happens all the time you know in, in when punk came up in the um, 77 in london do you know what i mean you know to admit that you even listen to a genesis album will be you be executed on the street <laughs> you know in prog and stuff the music that had dominated the decade up until that point was suddenly just laughable you know and punk took over you know and uh, out of that came the next sort of new wave kind of new romantic type of stuff which is kind of what wang chung was a part of you know but you sort of have to get on that on board with that stuff you know if you're going to have some sort of career in the in the commercial realm you know and then obviously the that that sort of as it were kind of uh i don't know what you'd call the 80s well it's it's 80s music isn't it you know us and tears of fears and you know, all those sort of bands, you know, were making these quite elaborate records and very concerned with songwriting and craftsmanship and all of that stuff. And then everything really changed in the 90s, you know, with a much more well, back to basics kind of revolution again, you know, with samplers and people making you know records out of samples and hip hop and all of that stuff, which was all beautiful and great and, and that is the way it should go. In fact, I think you could write a history of music uh, going right back to like, you know, Italian opera following on from Bach's amazing music, you know, uh, there's always this sort of uh, rebirth, which is a much simpler kind of approach to the music, which then in turn becomes more and more complex and overgrown and, and then gets reborn again.
0: And well, it really does. And, and But, of course, let's not forget the 80s had the Lynn drums, so that's that's yes. an important uh, thing. Uh, I could, and of course, go on. Uh, f- Sorry, go ahead. I've got to
1: say, yeah, on lots of the records, Lindrums were there.
0: Yeah, it was the age of the Lindrum. Uh, I, I could, of course, go on forever, but I do want to remind the folks that uh, Primitif is out, uh, well, in fact, March uh, March 20th. So it's, we're past that. It's it's out yeah, now.
1: It is out now. So you can go to my website, which is www.jackhughes.com, and you can order it on vinyl, which Very is nice. uh, a great format for it, and, uh, and on double CD. So it's a double vinyl, double CD. Or, of course, there's all the usual digital platforms if mm-hmm. you just want to check it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's just funny with this whole COVID eighteen or COVID nineteen and lockdown stuff. I've I've actually lost track of the days,
1: but we're we're past March twentieth. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, but, um, uh, but there's also time to sort of sit and listen to music again, maybe, and, and that can only be a good thing.
0: Uh, th- there is actually and there, there's a band I really like out of uh, out of Switzerland called Gothard, and I I put together a 355 song playlist, and I actually listened to it 26 hours. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <quite sweet. laughs> or, or crazy, one of the two. One of the two. Uh, yeah. But on that, uh, Jack, uh, as we say, uh, merci beaucoup, and and I do encourage fans to check it out. The, the, it, it, I don't want to say it's an escape, this album, but but when you put it on, especially if you have some headphones, like when I listen to it, you sort of close your eyes. I don't know. You can sort of just see these pictures that go through. And and you're right, by the way, with uh, the thing about videos, you know, growing up in the 70s, you put on headphones and the images came to you. And then in the 80s, they gave you the images. And for me, many of the times that ruined the songs. I was like, oh, that's what that's about. I don't remember a girl in a bikini in my vision of it. What the hell? Yeah, absolutely. But you know. Merci. Merci
1: bien. Au revoir.
0: This has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter at Mitch Lafon, and on Instagram at Mitch underscore Lafon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.